Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional under the umbrella of Hardwater One. I'm Dr. Brianne Showman Brown, and I am joined today by Shantae Cofield, also known as the Movement Maestro. We get into a great discussion on how to build a more robust and resilient human. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation as there is a lot to learn from it, both as a clinician and as a consumer. So let's get started. All right, Shante, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing an amazing, beautiful day in sunny Southern California, and I get to be on a podcast. Like, awesome. Yeah. What could be better? Right. My day is good. <laughs> awesome. So we were talking a little bit off air on, you know, what what's happening with athletes as far as injury wise. Can it be prevented or not? If this is even possible, because you know it's life. Things happen. Um, and so we wanted to kind of dive into building a more robust and resilient human. We can't prevent injuries. That's not even possible. But how can we make them, I don't know if less severe is the word I want to use, but just um, less impactful and getting over them faster. Totally. I love that you frame it like that because that's, you know, from the jump, I think that's huge in terms of building a more resilient, more robust human is explaining to people that injuries happen. That's part of life we can do our best to mitigate that. And like you said, kind of just decrease how much it impacts us after it happens. Um, And that, you know, the question you're asking is how do we build that more resilient, more robust human? Um, And I think for, for me, it comes down to resourcefulness and meaning exposing this person to more, obviously a graded exposure, but the more that you're exposed to, the more that you have the resources, the more resources you have rather to deal with things as they come. You know, I always say you never sprain your ankle in subtalar neutral, and yet we only train people in that single position. And then we wonder, oh, well, why did you sprain your ankle then? Because you never get out of that position. Your nervous system doesn't know what to do when you're out of it. Your nervous system doesn't know what to, your tissues don't know what to do when you're out of it. So yes, we should start in these neutral, more ideal, whatever positions. But if we don't expose people to these other positions, guess what? Gravity is going to take you there, whether you like it or not. So we gradually expose them to that. Uh, and that's, in my opinion, and you know, FRC has really just hammered that home for people. And that's how you're going to build that more robust, more resilient human is exposing them to these other stimuli, uh, but, but in a, a, a smart and graded exposure, graded manner. Rather. So what does that exposure look like to you? Uh, let's, to make it simple, uh, use the ankle as an example. So mm-hmm. Obviously, like you said, we sprain our ankles in not subtalar neutral. What does this graded exposure look like to you to progress someone from that just standing on a solid surface to Mm -hmm. other surfaces or other activities? For sure. I think the number one thing is going to be making it meaningful and specific to the person. Like what are their activities? What do they need to be able to do? What are they looking to do? And really starting, at least when you're starting, staying within that. Like I don't need you to do all this crazy other stuff if that's not really what you're going to be exposed to. So I think making it meaningful to that person because then you're also going to get better buy-in. They're going to be like, okay, I could, I could start to see why I would maybe want to do this. And then it becomes a matter of just progressively loading the tissues in different positions. So just like you would treat any other injury, you know, or treat any any progression, we're going to go with isometrics first before we go with like 
ballistic plyometrics. So I think isometrics are huge. And when we're looking at the neuroscience behind that, just talking about how one, it can have an analgesic effect. Two, just having that person in the position, contracting tissues there can produce the same effects, same patterns within the brain as if the person actually going through movements, um, which is huge because we have to remember, right, we're not treating a car or a table, rather we're treating a human and that nervous system is, is paramount. So for me, that's looking like we're starting them off in a safe environment, safe position, whether that, whatever that is developmentally. Uh, and then we're looking at isometrics. Then we're looking at uh, slower loading, lighter loading. And then we can actually start to load this and put more weight through it, make it a bit more dynamic moving through the range. Uh, and then at the end, we're looking, if appropriate, more of that dynamic kind of ballistic stuff, biometric stuff. <laughs> If you want that stuff, <laughs> that stuff, <laughs> all that stuff. I, I'm like, uh, I expose myself to everything, uh, but I really champion the developmental work, the groundwork, the early stuff for people, the motor patterning stuff, the the high level sexy stuff. I know it. That's not my forte though, and so you know, I'm always about you know collaboration, not competition. Once people are ready for that, I'm like, dude go to a really good strength and conditioning specialist or, you know, PT, whatever you want that is actually loves that stuff. Cause that for me, I'm like, I can tell you the science behind it, but that's like, I like you over here. I like you over here. So that's, that's where I feel better there. <laughs> well, I think people forget about the basics too, yeah. that we need to learn these core movements and these basic movements before we can progress to other things. And I think that when we bypass those bases, or those basic things that also sets us up to a bigger risk of injury because we don't have that foundation go. to even build on. There you go. And, and you know, if we, it's always really sexy to look at athletes and performance. People love using that as a standard for some reason, which I mean, I get, it's like nice to look at, but if you're actually working with an athlete, you're working with a high level person, especially like a, you know, a high, high level athlete, these people get paid millions of dollars to be on their feet. Let's say it's a basketball player, right? Wrestler, no, but let's say it's a basketball player. They get paid millions of dollars to be good on their feet. They don't need more training there. They're amazing there. They are fantastic at compensating there. You throw anything at them in that position, they're gonna figure it out. If you wanna build a more resilient, more robust athlete, you need to give them more resources, aka you need to expose them to other things. Get that person on the ground and test their foundation. Because that's a lot of times where we have some of these gaps because we haven't done it in so long. These people, you know, especially high-level athletes, it's great because they'll pick it up quickly. They'll be pissed off too when they can't do it in the beginning. <laughs> right? They're like, what? I, who does this? And they're like, all right, all right. But they'll pick it up quickly because they do have that, you know, that, that athleticism to them. But when you go back to these fundamentals and these foundational movement patterns, you see the high level stuff clear up that much faster and they can't compensate the same way because it's, it's unfamiliar to them. So you really do get to see their true movement patterns and then we can work on that, reestablishing those, reintegrating those, building that foundation and giving them more resources and ultimately making them a more resilient, more robust athlete. I had a really interesting conversation um, not too long ago with the guys over at Elevate SPC down in, um, in Vegas and one of the things that I think occurs, it's a cool thought, is that when we have certain athletes, especially like uh, golfers and things that are like a really like you have to do this singular mo movement over and over again, they become amazing in that pattern. Now, if my theory was to hold true, you know, give them more resources, 
they'd ultimately end up as a better athlete by having them train, maybe going the other direction. But no one's going to do that because it's going to mess them up at first, for sure. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it. It is going to mess them up at first. And the thing is, like, because they're getting paid and things like in performance, no one, you're never really, we're never really willing to take that risk of getting worse so that you can get better. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm really good at it. So like, I'm going to just stay here. But in reality, it's like, if you could create all these neural pathways and these resources, you would become a better athlete for sure. But you probably have to get worse first. So I'm going to throw that out there. Don't do that with your athletes in the middle of a season. (laughs) (laughs) Off-season training only. (laughs) Exactly. Like, uh, just because, just caveat there. Disclaimer. (laughs) It's so true, though. I have seen, I don't remember where I saw it, it was a couple of years ago, but it was someone who was training a rotational athlete. I want to say it was a baseball player and was having him do things the other direction just to yeah. get that motion down. Because whether you're just trying to make them stronger, or you're trying to reverse compensation patterns that have happened from that constant rotation one direction, it's, it's necessary to yeah, do. It is. And it's going to suck. Like, you know, I got an Instagram challenge to do stuff with my left hand. And I was like, this sucks. Uh, <laughs> you know, it will actually be good for you in the end, but you have to go through this phase of sucking so bad. And like, especially, you know, we're professionals, right? We are good at what we do. We've been doing it. We're comfortable at this. To go back to that place, which is very humbling as a beginner, when you're already so proficient at something, like if you've been, I'm 33, I've been using my right hand for 33 years. I'm like, why in the hell am I going to use this other one? This takes so long to go back to that is so like, so frustrating. But if you're able to get through that and realize like, Hey, and obviously you have to want it. Hey, the, the, the things I can gain from this and how this will actually help, you know, it's a good thing. But in the moment I get it, I get why people don't do it because it sucks. Yeah. I don't want to practice what I'm bad at. I had a shoulder surgery patient a while back and she's like, have you ever tried brushing your hand with your, or brushing your teeth with your non-dominant hand? I'm like, actually I haven't. So that night I tried, I was like, this is hard. It's terrible. It takes so long. I was like, I don't have time for this. I was trying to use my, I'm on my phone all the time. I'm always on doing some social media. Tried using my other hand for social media. And I was like, I quit this challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Throwing in the towel. I hate this. Like I know, like I know, but it would be. I'm like, but imagine if you really could have this the dexterity with both and just be able to react to things that quickly. And like that is actually pretty amazing. But the work that goes into that, I'm like, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Awesome. I wanted. You said something earlier that made me start thinking. As far as so, when we're working with an athlete working on from getting them to that static, that dynamic state, retraining like plyometrics and all that. We also have to think about, especially if it's been someone who's injured, is we're dealing with a lot of this, the fear avoidance factor as well. And that plays a huge role into what happens. Yes, I could not agree more. You know, I encourage all of my students when I teach now, I tell them, if you take no other course, take a pain science course because it will hugely reframe how you interact with your patients and how you approach your patients and how you approach these situations. Because when we learn, you know, we learn, I, I'm not here to, to, to rag on school or anything like that, but what we learn in school is 
Bitcoin teaches but so much and things aren't as updated, like it takes time for things to change or teaching to the boards. There's a lot of reasons why, you know, what we're learning is a little bit not so up to date. When you start learning about pain science, you start to learn about the fact that like there is so much more than this tissue in front of me. There's so much more to it. If it was just that, it'd be very easy to treat people. If it was just muscle and tissue and bones, like very, very simple. But when you exactly hit the nail on the head, when you start bringing that person's fears and emotions and the human component, it all changes, right? Someone, they could be, you know, we look at chronic pain concepts there. That person's tissues can be totally fine, but they have new neural pathways, that new neuro tags that have been created. Or that person, we know they have the strength to do that, but they're scared of doing it. Their body is not going to let them do it. So from a, you know, integrating that into treatment, that's why I'm really about the developmental side of things and positional stuff. Um, because my goal number one is to make the nervous system feel safe. When the nervous system feels safe, it will grant you so much more. So from a very mechanical perspective, I need to put these people in positions or ask them to get into positions, whatever, whether it's laying down, sidelining, kneeling, whatever, regress those positions so that they feel safer so that then the nervous system's like, all right, cool, we can start doing this. And then they build up the confidence. And then from the psychosocial component, we can have that discussion where, you know, you're connecting them to the activity that, that they're performing. And you're like, how does this feel? What are you experiencing? Let's, you know, focus on this mindset stuff before. There is very real science to visualization. We used to think, you know, it's like, ah, oh, it's all hokey. That's actually the first part of graded motor imagery. Like just thinking about things creates these pathways within, within your brain. So making these sessions more interactive uh, realizing that you're treating a human and then making them doing whatever you can do, whatever it takes to make that nervous system feel safe. Understanding that not only from a positional perspective where like I'm laying them down, kneeling them, whatever, but from an input perspective, when you touch someone, you're imparting a stimulus to that nervous system. And my, my question that I always ask myself is what stimulus do I have to give to this person to make them feel safer? Because that's the main thing we're doing. We're not breaking up scar tissue, things like that. You're giving the nervous system some input, some information. And it's like, what way do I have to move this tissue and drag this skin while perhaps saying something to this patient to make them feel safer? Because when you do that, nervous system says, all right, cool. I will give you so, so, so much more. So I love that you brought that up. That is like, it's huge, huge. I also think that there's a, it's interesting because the pendulum always swings too far, right? Like, and now I see a lot of people on social media just like, everything pain science and like, don't touch the pain. It's just like, you know, it goes too far. And you're like, yeah, hold up one. Their tissue can actually absolutely be a pain generator. Like they just sprained their ankle. There's something <laughs> going on there. Okay. It's not, it's not up in their head. And you know, the flip side of things, uh, sometimes you just got to load things, right. And you got to kind of push through a little bit and, and, and also, rely and lean on that that inherent robustness that we know the nervous that we know that the, the human has and be like as a coach as a pt whatever you know as a chiro you're your coach and you say to that person you can do this and in your your assurance to them being like no it's going to be okay you can do this uh and so i think that's probably one of the best the coolest parts about about treating is all of that tying that all of that in together yeah and I, there's so much subconscious to it too because you can the person can be totally bought in, but it doesn't mean the, yeah. whether it's subconscious or whether it's just retraining those motor patterns. Mm -hmm. But if that body hasn't moved because it's been scared for 20 years, it's not going to just do what you want exactly. it to in five you minutes. Gave them pain science book and now they should know. And like the body <laughs> remembers, man. It doesn't matter if you are like, no, you could like, 
Exactly. There's so much that goes into that. And when we realize that, and, and when we realize that, have those discussions, get you know, the patient on board and, and give things the appropriate amount of time, that's when we start to see things actually you know, really, really working out nicely. Yeah. So we talked, we did get into athletes. I want to talk about like just non-athletes. It's mm-hmm. your, you know, office worker, stay-at-home mom or whatever you want it to be. This still matters. Like yeah. building this robust human still matters yeah. because we still have to function in our day-to-day life, um, not just as an athlete. I mean, essentially you can make anything you do. Exactly. Be an athletic yes. activity or sport of some sort. So if someone's, you know, saying, well, this doesn't matter, this rotation thing doesn't matter, whatever, because that's not me. I just sit all day. Let's. It's rough, man. <laughs> yeah, like, I said that one. But that's like, that's <laughs> true, that. though. And you're like, dang. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they said that. Let's dive into that. Sitting. Sitting is yeah. awful. <laughs> yeah. We can dive into it. Um, I think, uh, go ahead. You, you can dive first. Yeah. Just the just the understanding of like our bodies were made to move. Our bodies weren't made to sit all day. And this being these positions we're putting ourselves into for eight to 10 hours a day is a huge contributor to, okay, now I'm going to go move and do something and not expect them to get injured is Uh almost absurd nowadays. (laughs) I like that. What kind of science is that? (laughs) We are robust, but like, we're also living tissue and so come on <laughs> come on guys i think you actually asked the, the, your question and or your or your response to the question and the question and the answer is actually they're tied together I- inherently there where this stuff matters to people outside of athletes because movement is life. Movement is the number one freedom that we have. And when we lose it, it's not until we lose it that we start to realize it. It's not until we can't do what we want to do that we realize how important it is. For athletes, it becomes, it's like kind of a no brainer because movement is their, their vocation. They get paid to do it. So they're like, I have to be able to do these things. For the average Joe, they don't realize it, that how dependent they are on movement freedom until it goes away until they can't play with their kids until they can't lift their grandkids until they can't get up off the floor and they fell down and then they're like on that life alert commercial i right? like <laughs> then you're suddenly you're like dang i probably should have practiced this before like movement's kind of important right? and so that's when that's when you start to like it or that's how i kind of start to liking it for for people or I don't want to say that's how I do because I, I'm very, I'm very fortunate in how I practice. Now you would ask before, you know, I only treat once a week. The people that come to see me, they already bought in. They already understand the value of movement. It can, I understand that my model is very different than the model that's out that for a lot of people. And I, I've done the traditional PT thing where I was in a, you know, the kind of a mill and people are coming there, not necessarily because they want to, but because they have to. And like their doctor told them and their wife told them and they don't really, Get it. And, and I understand that for you guys, you know, clinicians listening to this, it can be extremely frustrating. And, and my, my, my advice to you is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink, right? You can't care more than the patient. And maybe that sounds bad, but that's the reality. If you care more than that patient, you're going to burn out. So it's like you give this person what they're, what, you know, meet them where they're at. And then, and then you go from there. Uh, but for the patients that are willing to listen and are ready to listen, that's the discussion I have with them is that movement is absolutely the number one freedom we have. And it's the type of thing that you don't 
realize it, that how valuable it is until we lose it. And so, yeah, things like, you know, sitting inherently is not bad. It's not moving that is so bad. Once we, we sit all day and we don't move, we are losing the ability to do these other, these other things. Uh, you know, can, modern conveniences are really, they're getting to us. They're killing us. Uh, they are. Slowly. It's slowly, yeah. right? We don't even realize all these conveniences. Like, oh, I, you know, I fly a lot and travel a lot. And like, sometimes there's actually no stairs. It's like only the escalator. And if you like want to find the stairs, it's like way out of the way. And you're just like, there, you're like forced into this. Not, I'm like, I'm not trying to like climb like 57,000 flights of stairs on my trip across through the airport. I'm not trying to be like, look at me. But like, just you start to see this everywhere where it's like, one, there's those moving sidewalks everywhere. And I'm like, how do you people get anywhere in life? Like the people that stand on the moving side, that's like a metaphor for life. Like if you're standing on the moving side, you're like what? How do you get anywhere else? What? This is crazy. And then there's like just they take you from one fast food place to the next, and you're just like, man, this is, this is this is problematic. Like, but you know, for for me and, and kind of having that discussion, just circling back to what you'd asked. Uh, when I teach, I always tell people if you and when I treat, I always tell people if you want people to buy in, you have to make them feel something, and that's when they start to get it. And so for many people, they may not get it until they lose something and then they feel that and it's it's unfortunate but i mean we've all been there i i learned my lesson with you know some of my physical like endeavors and such but i'd be like i shouldn't have done that because now i'm injured <laughs> you learn you feel like i feel it i shouldn't have done that but i think for some people that's where it has to be where it's like like hey movement is our number one freedom think about the little things you know not like you don't have to go play be a professional baseball player like you want to play with your kids like you want to be able to go on that vacation with your your partner like you want to be able to walk your dog and play you know play with your dog that's why you got to be able to do these things. Yeah, definitely. It was interesting. I got in uh, yesterday. Yeah, one of the guys at the gym, he's like, hey, Bree. He's like, look at this. He goes, my he's, his son started CrossFit Kids the day before. He's like, his squat's awesome. I'm like, yeah, because school hasn't destroyed yeah, him yet. There you go. He's That's like, so but true. I mean, his, he can get full depth. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I was like, yes. we all should be able to do that. Exactly. I mean, that's the problem is that we all should be able to do that. And then they're like, oh, wait a minute. Exactly. Like you see, it's crazy. You know, you see with these kids, like you see this happening from such a young age. And yes, inherently we, we're all different and we all move differently. And so some people maintain that they have more inherent flexibility than other people. But you start to see at a very young age what our modern society does to our bodies. And it's like these kids can't squat. These kids, they physically can't get in that position. They can get it back yeah, if we work with them. But like you came out of the womb being able to do that. And you're not supposed, I think, you know, our movement literacy as a, as a country, I don't want to speak for our country, is really bad. Mm -hmm. And we don't realize what we've lost. We don't realize what we're supposed to be able to do. Like if you squat and then you're like, can you do this? People would be like, why? No, I can't do that. Of course I can't do that. Like, and they don't realize I'm like, but you should be able to do this. Like, can you touch your, and every class I go, can you touch your toes? Like, that's a basic movement pattern. Like, and they're like, no, I've never been able to. And I'm like, that's a blatant lie. You came <laughs> out and your foot was probably like in your mouth somehow. You're lying to me. You realize that you've lost this. Like you had it and you're supposed to keep it. And people, it's our understanding of things though is so, so poor. Just, we don't know. Yeah. I always revert it, like, I always refer to 
people are telling me it's like I shouldn't be able to go there. That's like squat full depth. It's like I always go to the Asian cultures. Yeah, they keep that full depth squat through life because yeah. of everything they're doing day to day. I was like, you can't tell me when this ninety year old person over in China is squatting full depth, exactly. and getting up off the floor, no problem. That you can't shouldn't be able to do this. Exactly. I'm like, this is, let's look around, look outside of yourself for two seconds. Will it be easier for other people depending on their anthropometrics? Yes. But should you still be able to do it in some capacity without dying? <laughs> like you actually, I don't watch it. I'm like, you're probably going to die. Please don't do that. <laughs> don't, <we're> gonna, <laughs> we have to regress this. We have to do quadruped rocking or something. That's too much. <laughs> right. Something bad's going to happen right now. And do like these basic things like, yeah, you should be able, you should have this movement freedom. And one of the coolest things I think for me, because, you know, my platform, I'm all about, you know, the bigger picture, taking a leap, creating the life you want. For many people, movement becomes the gateway for that because they can feel it. And when you start, you know, I love CrossFit. People rag on it. I love it. Excuse me, but CrossFit shows so many people what they're capable of. Or that they are in fact capable of more. You know, CrossFit gets a bad rap. People just see like one rep maxes and snatches and bad movement. But like CrossFit's great. Like it gets you upside down. It gets you to enhance stand positions. It gets you inverted. It gets you lifting more and pulling more from the floor. And just especially for females, like hey, like it's okay to be strong, and and all these things that that, that it can expose you to. And and you you start to feel like hey, I can do more than I thought. I can do a lot. So that that same concept with you know, taking it to the bigger picture, then suddenly people are like, I could do more than my, where I'm at currently in life. They start to be able to make that transition, which is what, I, for me, I think is so cool as, as movement providers, you know, whether, no matter what you are, PT, Cairo, it doesn't matter, coach, you have the opportunity to really impact someone's life in that way because you can expose them to one of the greatest freedoms that they have. And then when they've experienced that, they're just like, well, what else can I do? What else mm -hmm. is out there? It's awesome. It's yeah. absolutely awesome. And it's just one of those things that become so functional. It's like, let's have a uh, talking to the guy the other day. He's like, he was carrying a case of water on his shoulder. He dropped something. He literally just squatted down, picked it up. And he said, there's people are looking at him like, did you just do that? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a functional movement. <laughs> yes. You should be able to do this. You know, you think about that with like mom, moms have to be so functional. You're carrying this child in, in your belly first and you got to do all this stuff. And then they're all attached to your freaking hip and you have to be able to do all of this stuff. Moms are superheroes. And, you know, that's a, it's a demographic that I, I love that it's really gone into, you know, training for the pregnant and postpartum athlete and things like that, because that demographic needs the support system. That demographic needs the information on how to do this safely. And that demographic needs to be prepared because yes, pregnancy is a natural thing. Birth is a natural thing, but it's also a huge freaking trauma. Yeah. We like seem to like ignore that. Like it's natural. Like, yes, but <laughs> you realize what has happened to your body trauma. And now this person had a C-section and they're going to still be carrying their baby and a stroller and the car seat. And have we prepared them for that? Yeah. So, resiliency. There you go. <laughs> it all comes That's back to the same thing, man. Yeah. It all comes back to the same thing. As an athlete working to prevent an injury, just mm -hmm. uh, decrease risk of injury. We'll go there because like obviously it. nothing's preventable. Like but, it. you know, we, we all work with the athletes that have just random shoulder strains, low back stuff from lifting, wrong, you know, whatever. Um, 
what's the best way to at least minimize those those risks in your opinion is it doing stability work is it decreasing volume like where's kind of what direction do you go with people first becomes assessment and see what the needs are because my loosey-goosey doesn't need to be doing more mobility work um, or flexibility work, right? There's a difference, but you go to that rabbit hole. My loosey-goosey needs to be working on stability and perhaps, you know, strengthening. For my tin man, you know, perhaps for, the, for that person, they do need to be working on mobility, flexibility stuff. And we start there by, I think what it all comes down to like any course you ever go to in any like new paradigm, any, everything ever, it's just give the person more of what they don't have. Do more of what you're not doing. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I, I think about PRI, right. Postural Restoration Institute. The class is very dense, very heavy. There's a lot of words. <laughs> right. like, some balloons are in there and you're like, Whoa, this is like a lot in the class. And the whole take home is just spend more time doing the other stuff you're not doing. Like if your body defaults to this right sided position, just use your left side more. Like that's the take home of it. And I think that's, it's resiliency, it's robustness. It's giving that person more resources, exposing them to things that they're not, they haven't been exposed to. I think where people suffer is they skip the assessment portion. They don't know what they need. And so then they're like, well, should I do more of this and work more of this stuff? And then how about this? Well, you could try and throw it at the wall and see what sticks, but I prefer working smarter, not harder. And let's assess for, right? Let's assess first, get in and see someone like you who knows what they're doing? Like people need to be okay paying for their health. Yeah. Right. Your health is an, an investment, not an expense. Pay for a freaking assessment and providers out there, if you're not doing this, it's okay to just see someone for an assessment and never see them again. That's okay. You've still done your job. You don't have to come twice a week for the rest of their lives. Like it's okay. You can still help them in that capacity. Figure out what you need and then do more of that. And I always say for people, start at the biggest stuff because they're like, well, I need this, this, this. Start at the biggest stuff, the most glaring stuff, the most foundational stuff, and then we work our way from there. You know, if people want to go, if the, the, the clinicians out there really want to go in the rabbit hole, like, yes, I believe that you go after mobility dysfunctions first, and then you follow it up with stability. Not that you don't do them in the same session, but if someone's ankle does not move, you have to do something about it. Like, yes, stability drills for their foot, for their core, for their midline, for their hip will help. But you actually, you have to do some, some sort of mobility work to that. If that means putting them actively in that position to work on more dorsiflexion, cool, that's still a mobility drill that's just concurrently working on stability. That's why paradigms like FRC, PNF, things like that work so well because they do both at the same time. But, you know, order of operations there, it's like you go after pain first, you go after, st- go after pain first, you go after mobility, and then you go after stability. And then... After that, you know, we have strands, we can get all the dynamic stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it all boils down to do more of what you don't have enough of, what you're doing, not doing yeah. enough. Agree. And I think you hit it on the head too with the just pay for something to take care of yourself because it is an investment. Because yeah. uh, I'm, I'm cash pay as well. And I talk Bless to people you. every day who just don't want to pay to come in. It's like, Okay, or you can modify every day for yeah. the rest of your life because you don't want to take care choice. of it. And it, just, it doesn't make sense to me. It, it just, doesn't. And when you're on the other side of things, you know, hindsight 2020, when you're on the other side of things, you get it. But when you're not there, and that's, what I, you know, tying back into before, our, our movement and health literacy as a culture, as a, 
as a country is very, very poor. You know, it actually ties into this concept of resiliency and robustness because people, we are so inherently robust. Things get better, right? If they don't come to see me, like your back pain, like it will go away. It'll probably come back. And some other form, you're probably, you're probably that person that's like every few months or years like throws their back out, like, but it goes away, right? You're, never, you're not like, I'm crippled now forever. That speaks to the resiliency, the robustness of the system. And people, instead of realizing that and saying, hey, my body can recover. If I treat it well, imagine what else it could do. They just say, ah, it'll probably get better. It'll probably go away. I'm not paying for this. And so it's just, it's the, they have the tools right there. And then I'm like, you're so close to realizing how good you already are but they just kind of need oftentimes to have something really taken away and then they realize it uh, but before that I, I get it i mean i'm in the cash-based model um, i'm never going back to the insurance model uh, and hopefully one day people will see but you know until people realize the, the value of movement and that it is our greatest freedom our greatest liberty uh, you're gonna have that people kind of uh, I don't really know. Does insurance cover it? And it's like, that's cool. And for the clinicians out there listening, my advice is multiple revenue streams, doing things digitally, doing outside things so that you can continue to work within this model that you believe in so that you continue to actually help people and, and the people that you can, you can say no to certain people that, that, you know what, I don't have to go and, take $20 of a copay and then see you for five minutes and like really just not be helping you because you're within this model or whatever. Like I'm very fortunate that I can do things how I do them. And I encourage other clinicians out there to, to take the steps to diversify things so that you can too, because it is life changing when you can practice and you, you can speak to this, right? You, when you can practice in a way that truly meets your needs and fulfills you and you're not dreading it. And you, you really can feel like at the end of the day, like I did the best that I could for that patient. Not I did the best that I could in five minutes. Like I had time to sit with this patient. It's, it makes all the long hours worth it. It makes all the headaches and everything else worth it. So for the clinicians out there listening to it, this is why I champion the cash-based model. And, you know, I encourage you figure out other revenue streams if you need so that you can do this and, and, and be fulfilled and be okay in your practice and not, you know, being your head against the wall and then get to help these people that are ready to hear this stuff. Yeah. Cause a lot of times, you know, people just need the education and they just need to understand what's going on and just be can talk through movement patterns or whatever. And you can't do that in five minutes. You can't, you just can't do it. With them and then turning over to someone like you can't do it. Possible. You cannot do, you can't, you just, you can't do it. And you know, the more that I've been treating, the longer I've been treating, I don't need a full, I, so I, I, my sessions are an hour at least. I like to talk clearly. You guys are listening. You can hear this. Uh, my sessions are an hour booked, but I usually go longer than that. And it's not that I need a full hour to do all this manual stuff with this person. It's like you need that time to sit and unpack things with that person and, and talk to them and listen to them and have them feel heard and yeah. get buy-in from that nervous system and like really, you know, just really look at their movement patterns and, and get to tease things out and get the full picture. You just need the time to do this. Like, and then, and then I do not need to see you the next day. Yeah. Like, it's like, all right, we had this time now. You're an adult. You can go on your way. I'm giving you things to make you more resourceful, more robust. And then you come back, whatever your schedule is the next week, two weeks from then. And then we work on uh, continuing to, to 
gradually expose you to these things and build up that resiliency and that robustness. Yeah. And that's the important thing is you're getting that buy-in. They're becoming independent, doing this stuff on their own versus, well, I'm just going to therapy three times a week. And so I don't need to do this other stuff. And they don't gain that independence of actually how to take care of themselves when they're not seeing you. Exactly. It's that you are not building a robust human if they need you every time. If they think that, or they think that they need you for this thing, I, I can only get fixed because this doctor fixed me. Like that is not a good model to have. You got to empower the patient, and you know, clinicians out there listening to it, this is it's get away from that scarcity mindset. There's more than enough patients to go around. You don't need to keep people there by like being like, oh, you know, I can help you. I can fix you. I can, you know, I'm putting this back in. There's, enough, there's more than enough people to go around. And also, if you go to a cash-based model, you don't have to see as many patients. <laughs> like, let's just call a spade a spade. Like, if you're making $1 for your patient coming in, like, you can't get the lights on. You got to see a lot of people. I, see, I know why the mills do it. Like, you got to turn a profit. But you change the model, right? you, gotta, you have to completely change the model. It's scary at first, but you got to change the model and everyone wins. You have time to empower your patient. They actually get better. That means they're going to go out and do something and hurt themselves again. Because like we said, you can't prevent injury. It happens. But suddenly this person doesn't think they're dying when they come in the next time. It's not as, as, as much of a fight to get them better. They get back to doing what they want. They love you. They go and tell other people. Everyone is happier. It's just a better model. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, you know, I'm, I've really shifted my practice more towards just that yeah, decreasing injury risk and more of the education stuff. And yeah, I still see people for injuries because yeah. things happen. They yeah. do something weird at the gym or on a run or whatever. And, and they, you know, call me up and get in, but it's just, it is so much more fulfilling when you can actually build those relationships yes. and actually help the people be empowered and help themselves and yes and i think that's why we all get into this profession like we're in helping professions whether you're chiropractor or physical therapist you want to help people and when you grow into a model that really truly allows you to do that because we know you care and even when you're seeing people for that 15 minutes like when you're in the, in a mill like you're still trying so hard but when you are you you graduate and you move to the model where you can really sit and connect with somebody that's what you came in. That's what you came into this profession for in the first place. Yeah. So it's, it becomes like, yes, I am happy about what I'm doing and I am willing to promote my profession. I see so many PTs now that just hate it and say bad things about it. And I get it. Like, cause if you're in the wrong situation, it sucks. Like, yeah. this is not what I signed up for. It's terrible. I get it. I was there. And I, I was talking to Danny Matei and he was like, dude, we're in the, one of the best professions in the world. And it's unfortunate because we can't always give that message because people are so, you know, jaded and bogged down and just overworked because they're the model is what it is. And it's like, Hey, I got in this to help people to build more robust humans to to help people out, not to make them dependent on me, not to see them at twice a week forever. And then they kind of are maybe better, but not really. And the insurance said you can't come back. And so I have to get a new, new thing. Like we didn't get into that. So work towards that other model. There, There are so many more reasons. It's not just to make more money. That's like, None of us cut into this to make money. Like, if you want to make money, you put you shouldn't be doing this job. <laughs> Let's be honest. Like, if you're trying to be a millionaire, like this is like not the best way to go about it. But like, we get into it to help people. So let's 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 help ourselves so we can help these people. Yeah, and the so talking to 
actually, it was, I think it's a podcast that dropped today, actually, um, a while back. And um, we wanted to talk about the healthcare system in general and how, you know, people just still want that quick fix. And that's what insurance pays for. So that's what people know. And until there's a huge shift in, you know, the healthcare industry and how everything is portrayed, it's going to be hard to yes. get everyone fully Absolutely. bought in. Absolutely. And, you know, for, for what I, that's what I do with what, that is why I do what I do with uh, my social media. My goal is to educate the consumer and the, the clinician. I mean, my goal is not to get, uh, not, is not to get clients or patients from social media. My goal is to educate people so they know what a good provider looks like. People literally just don't know any better. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't know. They're, they think that I go to PT and get ice and steam and then a heat pack and I ride the bike and like yellow therapy and I'm done. Like that's, they don't know that like, that's actually probably not what you should be doing. They have, they have no idea. Yeah. So like, you know, it's up to individual providers to just, you know, take that leap and do what they can within. It's like, you're not going to overhaul the whole system. Insurance ain't going anywhere, but within your network, you can work to make things better because you know, we have to also blame. So we, it's like, yeah, I, I love to blame insurance and say how terrible it is. But like, I also blame the American people. You know, I can't say about other countries. It's the American people, right? Cause I live here. Like as long as your mindset is about quick fixes, which is, it is. That's why people want fad diets. Mm-hmm. Right. So people do these crazy like workouts thinking they're going to like, you know, get, where's my six pack? I worked out for five minutes. Like <laughs> what's happening? Like, as long as that's the general mentality of people, which it is, healthcare is going to continue to be the way it is. So it's twofold yeah. there. But yeah. I mean, all we can do is our best to educate ourselves and educate the consumers, especially the ones who want to listen and then run with it because there are, we, we are in a renaissance. Danny says that we're in a renaissance right now and things are changing and, and people want it and it's there. And that's all we can do is look to educate them and, you know, not be so worried and, and like, you know, pissed off about, yeah, insurance sucks, but it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to yeah. take it down yourself? Like, <laughs> good luck. Right. Instead, you can do what you're doing. And like, you know, you start a podcast, you talk to people, you get the word out there, you know, you treat people, you start your cash-based model, you, you, you truly help these individuals. These individuals go out and tell other people like, hey, this is what my, my provider does this actually. You're so, and the conversations get started that way. And that's how you're going to start to see, see that change. Yeah. And that's why I started utilizing social media as much as I have for that reason. Yeah. Getting the education out there to, you know, the consumer, the athletes of, you know, just the different things that they can do for themselves to help themselves and why the quick fix isn't the answer. And People maybe at one, I mean, everyone hopes for the quick fix and, you know, you can go on the psychological rabbit hole with that and in terms of why that is and what that means. But it's like, all we can do is what we're doing, providing the, the care that we're providing, going after it this way, having these discussions, educating people. And that's why it becomes so important, like you were saying, to put yourself in a model where it's sustainable for you, where you enjoy this. Because if every day you're just fighting against people that like want a quick fix and don't really want to pay for stuff you're going to quit. You're going to leave the profession. You're, it's not sustainable for you. So speaking to your own robustness, your own resiliency, like you got to put yourself in a, in a situation that you can actually grow from and handle. Otherwise, no one wins then. Yeah. Like you should enjoy going to work every day and it shouldn't even feel like work. Like Exactly. Just it's, go and have fun every day. It, it, and people, you say that to people, it's, it's the same look that when you tell them that they should be able to squat. They're like, what? I should be able to squat and enjoy my job. 
what world are you living in? <laughs> Fantasy world. And you're like, right. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. Doesn't have to be that way, but I'm gonna let you. And that's, that's, you know, time like we said, like suddenly, because it is easier to get, in my humble opinion, it's easier to get movement back right, than to do other leaps because you can work on it yourself. It may take a long time, but you can see, you can feel these gains. And when people start feeling it, then they ideally start realizing, hey, I can have more and do better in other areas of my life. My job doesn't have to suck. My, my ankle doors reflection doesn't have to suck. My job doesn't have to suck. There is a connection between yeah. those two things. Like People will make it too. If, they, if you really stick with it long enough, they'll, they'll start to make that, that connection. And it's great. It's great. Yeah. Improve one thing and just yeah. mindset. There Huge. you go. Huge. There you go. <laughs> comes back together. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Hey, Shante. So uh, just to kind of close out, yeah. any final thoughts on this robust and re resilient human concept? If you listening to this and you are a clinician, stop using words that scare your patients. Don't tell them. And I realize I should probably change this verbiage around and lead with light and say, it's better to say, but I'm not going to do that, right? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I don't have time to be doing the verbal gymnastics in my, in my head. Here. <laughs> uh, it, you can't tell your patient that they have a jelly donut in their back. That's terrifying. <laughs> don't say that. You can't say, oh, you're old and probably have arthritis and that's why you have pain. Like, you can't say these things. Like, as a clinician... Do your research, read books, talk to people, listen to podcasts, and understand, truly understand how robust and resilient the human is and impart that information in whatever way you want to your patients. If you're a patient listening to this or you know, a consumer listening to this, understand that the fact that injuries do happen, that the fact that you still heal from them, that the fact that we even need things like joint replacements speaks to how freaking incredible your body is. You have the ability to wear down a bone. Holy crap. That's, that's like, if I was to tell you to go outside and try to wear that, that cement, wear it down, see what you can do. Like, you, you're like, what? We have the ability within our own body to, to do this. Which means we have we are incredibly robust, inc incredible forces of nature. Take that with you. Find a provider that also believes in that, and run. Awesome. And finally, where can people find you on social media? On the interwebs, your best bet is Instagram. I am the Movement Maestro. Maestro is spelled M-A-E-S-T-R-O. Um, and you can get that's the same handle across all the platforms, the Movement Maestro, the Movement Maestro, and the Movement Maestro. Easiest is Instagram. Get back to you in five minutes. She is fast. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again so much for your time today. It was a great conversation. Appreciate Dude, having thank you Thank you. I, I appreciate you bringing me on, and I appreciate you doing this. This is the kind of stuff that, you know, this is the kind of stuff that changes the world, that changes the tide. So thank you for doing what you're doing. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. Show notes can be found at highlyfunctional.org. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you would go on to iTunes and give me a five-star rating and review, as well as share this on social media with all your friends and followers. Until next time, go out and be highly functional.